Hello everyone and welcome to MIT Designering Series, a weekly podcast where we feature leading professionals from the domains of design, technology, business and innovation. We talk to them about their experience, views on the latest industry trends, designering and a lot more. You can connect with us on our Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook and Twitter handles to get regular updates regarding our new episodes. And without further ado, let's start with your show. As we enter a new era of technology with artificial intelligence and automation on the rise, the next generation of users are also coming up with unique needs and expectations for digital experiences. To understand the pain points of these users and find their latent needs, designers need to conduct extensive user research based on meaningful interactions. These interactions and observations can help create an accurate mental model and lead designers to develop innovative universal experiences that solve the user's problem. So how can designers keep up with the rise in customer expectations and provide meaningful solutions? To learn more about this concept and many more related topics, we bring to you someone with over two decades of experience as a design leader and currently working as Chief Design Officer at IBM Products. Aaron, he is a design executive with extensive experience in product innovation, design thinking-based transformation, user research, and user experience strategy. Along with this, he also holds expertise in user experience leadership, design process management, user interface design, usability measurement, and much more. And that's why on our journey of discovering designering, we talk to him about pioneering universal experiences. And hey, do not forget to tune into our new segment towards the end, where we host the founder of Wolfcraft Design Studio on our new segment, where we interact with a startup design studio. Hello, Aaron. Welcome to our show, MIT Designering Series. It's an honor and pleasure for us to host you on our show today. Hey, Rohit. Great to be here. Thanks for the opportunity. Super. So, Aaron, let's start with an icebreaker. I was going through your LinkedIn profile, and you recently shared a post on mentoring on your LinkedIn. You mentioned finding great mentors can have a significant impact on one's career. But that initial relationship can definitely be tricky. Doing your research, preparing insightful questions, and having the guts to reach out is a great first step for young professionals. The question that I have for you there is, if one was to approach you for mentorship, what preparation would you expect from such an individual? Great question. Um, I would start by saying that everyone needs a mentor in life, regardless of what phase of your career you're in. Especially true for young professionals. And I get a request for mentorship probably one or two a day uh, on social media. I try to reach out to as many as I can. But I tend to find that most times when people reach out, they are looking for a generic mentorship, which I, I understand. You're looking uh, to feel different kind of questions, getting some perspective and experience and expertise. But the more interesting conversations are those who have a very specific question, either about the craft of design or about the practice of design, design systems, how design works in a corporation, so on and so forth. Because once you have a specific conversation, I feel you can have a much richer uh, point of view. That doesn't mean that uh, you know you always have to have specific questions in every touch point you have with a mentor. But I am more inclined to respond to a possible request if there's a, a question that is meaningful and is thought-provoking. Um, I would also say that there is a slight difference between men- mentorship and sponsorships. Okay? Um, mentors are there to guide you, coach you, etc., help you grow. But in life, you also need a sponsor, someone who's going to actually look out for you, not only mentor you, but also guide you and and get you 
get your doors and windows to open for you to have the opportunities. So if you're looking for mentors as a young professional, think about what exactly do you want to be mentored on? Which topic? Who are the top thought leaders in that topic? Think about a thought-provoking question you might want to ask to start the conversation, to start the engagement. And more importantly, mentorship and sponsorships are relationships. You have to nurture the relationships. You have to make sure that there's a give and take on both ends. At the end of the day, a mentor uh, and mentee, they're both taking out time from a busy schedule, right? So do the homework. Think about how to make those few minutes count that you have with your mentor. Personally, at, at you know my profession, given where I'm in my career, I have many, many mentors. I have over seven. Some are within the company, some are outside the company. I probably get to talk to them 15 minutes, you know, once every two months or so. But I make those 15 minutes count. And I expect that as you grow into your career, you'll also do the same. Wow, super. So this was the Guru Mantra for all our listeners. If you want to get in touch with Aaron, this is what you got to do. However, before we get into Aaron, your journey, there's one more question that I had from, from, from the response that you just gave to me. How do you ask the right question? I think it's an, it's, it's an art that people develop over a period of time. But I also realize that it's, as designers, it's, it's extremely important for the simple reason that if you're a user experience designer, if you are a, if, 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 if not only user experience, but if you're a designer, you would go out and you would, you would need to do research with your uh, potential customers, your respondents. The question in case of mentoring, as well as, you know, generally in life, how do you ensure that you develop an art of asking good questions? Yeah, great question again. Um, I would say that as a design profession um, or as a design professional, uh, even in school, as you're studying through uh, the program of design, you will encounter user research and you use those tools and practices to inform your designs, right? Use the same to design your career, right? Figure out what you want to do and how you want to go, um, you know, achieve that goal. So as you talk to your mentors, do some research around the pain points that you want to solve for yourself. The what is statements that you always wanted to think about, but never had the guts to ask. Remember, Rohit, it's not about asking the right question. There is no right or wrong question. It's whether the question is worth the time to respond to, whether it's thought-provoking, whether it enriches the relationship between the mentor and the mentee. So do the homework, like you apply user research for your designs, apply user research to advance your career. Wow, excellent. I think that's a very, very sound advice. And that sets an excellent tone for the conversation that we're going to have with Aaron. And while Aaron, we've been talking about mentoring and asking the right question, let's move on to your journey. You're having experience of more than two decades as a design executive with extensive experience in enterprise software, multi-platform cloud, and artificial intelligence user experiences for both B2B and B2C enterprises as well. With a proven record of success in defining and instrumenting user experience design and defining the next generation user experience across a large product families. You'd love to hear about your professional journey, Aaron. Is it as simple as the introduction sounds, or was it a bumpy ride uh, to where you are today? Hey, it, I would say I enjoyed every part of my journey. It's been a learning curve, ups and downs along the way, like you would expect from any career, honestly. But let's just walk to the memory lane a little bit. Um, I did my graduation in HCI. Um, from Clemson University. Um, and when I joined my first um, job, which was at Oracle, uh, I joined in as a, as a user researcher. Um, I mean, I could do both design and user research, but I wanted to give user research a try as a dedicated profession. So 
I got in there, my, that's like my first sort of foray into corporate life. I still remember um, probably a week within my first job, I had to run a pretty deep um, entrenched usability study on Oracle database. Um, remember, this is someone coming in new into corporate, working on the top product that sells in that company, running a test with DBAs, which is a very technical audience, generating insights and giving it back within three weeks. So that was a, you know, my initial indoctrination of life in, in the corporate. It is a good one, though. Um, I mean, I quickly learned, hopefully, um, and I had great mentors around me that helped. So in my journey at Oracle, I got to work initially on mostly what I would call as products that targeted technical users, DBAs, sysadmins, um, developers, um, information architects, um, and so on and so forth. And um, different kinds of products, application servers, um, portals, um, different sort of system management um, utilities and tools. And that was pretty much getting into the guts of technology. And that taught me one thing, for us to survive in this world of technology, we should not be afraid of technology. You have to adapt to it, you have to soak it in, and guess what, over time, you'll be equally proficient in technology as anyone else. And not knowing deep, deep sort of elements of technology actually helps you as a user researchers because you ask the dumb questions, which again, sarcastically put, there is no dumb question, but it gives you the latitude to ask basic questions that makes people wonder, hmm, we didn't think about that. So again, my first phase of my journey in corporate life um, in Oracle was on um, you know, technology products that uh, are catered towards uh, very advanced users. The second half of my journey was on the other end of the spectrum, um, cloud applications on CRM, and such, which is around the ERP CRM space, um, targeting folks like sales reps, marketing professionals, meant to be self-service, walk up and use, okay? So my first one was about hardcore technology, people who really know the domain, know the technology, and they're trying to optimize their life using the tools. The second half was self-service, I'll only go and use when I need it. And that provided a, a great perspective. If I look back in time, that was a great training ground for me because I walked through gamut of different users, different pain points, different perspectives, and the type of products were different, different markets, so on and so forth. During that journey, I also obviously, um, you know, grew in my career, became project leads, team leads, uh, managers, and then set up practices. Um, we had multiple new acquisitions, so learned how to work with new acquisitions, integrate them into the business. And, you know, the second half of my journey at Oracle, I slowly transitioned into design leadership at scale. So more on design strategy, how, how it can help the business, how can we come up with platforms, so on and so forth. So that was my Oracle journey. Then I decided to try something uh, different at a smaller company just to see how I'm going to scale. Uh, so I joined a company called Progress Software out of Boston. And they brought me in to start a practice uh, from scratch. Um, they wanted to make and design a value proposition in their products. And they're going up to two new markets at that time, platform as a service and data integration. So that's what I did. Two years or two and a half years over there, set up a practice, um, introduced the concept of sort of design thinking as well as a design practice for sustained growth in our products. At that time, IBM approached me towards the end and they wanted me to come in and be part of a transformation journey. And IBM has been in the industry for a long time, as we all know, a great brand, everyone knows about it, great set of innovations. And I thought, hmm, it's gonna be an interesting challenge for me to see if I can scale from a 100,000 company to a 8,000 company to a 400,000 company. Um, so that's what I did, came into IBM, uh, I initially, joined as the design leader for the middleware sort of products, again, technical products, um, but expanded it to um, data and AI, public cloud, security, so on and so forth. So right now I'm serving sort of two different hats. 
one of which is a, um, a design executive responsible for the execution of product designs, you know, responsible for the quality and the timeliness and the delivery uh, elements of it. But the second half is of my career or my role is of a chief design officer. There I'm responsible for the design strategy, um, design quality as a as a value proposition, as a differentiation and design career, so on and so forth. So wearing two different hats, um, I feel every step in my journey has helped me along in furthering my journey. I've learned every day, even today, I'm learning pretty much every day from my designers. I've hired a lot of designers, young designers who have different perspectives. And that diversity of thoughts and ideas, you know, makes me want to come to work every day. So long-winded answer here, Rohit. Hey, did you know IBM Cloud Satellite and IBM Open Pages with Watson have been honored with the 2021 Red Dot Design Award in the brand and communication design category. Winning this award is a true testament to IBM's commitment to excellent user experience and exceptional design. Now, that's what I call an incredible journey. Amazing uh I mean, I was just, uh, you know, trying to keep up the pace with your journey and wondering the quality, amazing quality of experience that you've gained over, uh, you know, this, these over the last two decades out there. And while you were also talking about it in multiple large companies like IBM, Oracle, you know, one of the thoughts that crossed my mind that it isn't easy to work as a designer in huge organization and manage vast teams. In fact, over the years, you've effectively managed huge teams and worked with major organizations that we just heard about. What I wish to know from you, Aaron, is how did you navigate through this? And how can designers ensure they consider other people's perspective and move forward, something which is uh, extremely challenging while you are in a creative field. Yeah, um, I would say there are two perspectives to that or two threads to pull on. Um, As a design professional, no matter where you work, doesn't really matter which company, part of your job is to win over your stakeholders. They are your partners. They're also people you have to kind of respond to. Design is a team sport, okay? So you, as, as much as, as your craft is great, even great designs on its own go nowhere without the support and sponsorship of the stakeholders. So it's very important to know how to break your idea and present it in a way that makes sense and actually solves the problem in ways that affect the business. So that's one of the learnings I've had in, in, in my life is great designs can stay on the shelf, but great designs with the sponsorship of, of your customers, users, and your stakeholders go a long way. So as you develop your craft, you also need to develop your relationship management about your negotiation techniques, about articulating your point of views and and your assumptions on why you design the way you design. So it is a a interesting perspective because these things are not typically taught in school, right? I mean, you learn through experience. And some of it is about personality, some of it is about leadership style as well. So, if you work in a you know hundred people organization versus a thousand people organization, the complexity and the scale is going to be different. But your uh, perspectives could be the same. You can apply the same techniques and practices you use. So don't feel like oh my god, I have to change my approach completely. You know, if the if the company size is is different and the number of products are different, yeah, you'll have more variability in how you work. Uh, a, a bigger network of stakeholders and 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 influencers that you have to negotiate with but that's part of the journey um the the second thread i want to say is that um i'm a practitioner at heart so um if you think about design management and design leadership it's about really appreciating the business 
understanding what we're trying to solve for, the market we're going to go after, and then rallying your team to, um, I guess, contribute to that mission. But you cannot do that if you are not really uh, playing the sport at the level uh, that you expect your designers to play in. In other words, do you know enough about the products? Do you yourself know where the design is going? So design management is not just about managing. It's about um, providing some, some, some direction, some uh, perspectives on where the design is going, on the craft of design, on the technical approach that's being taken during the design. And as you do that, you build credibility. You build credibility with your stakeholders and partners. They see that you are their partner. You're trying to get the team to come up with design ideas that will help differentiate their business. And that gives a, a, a big win for you. So my, again, everyone has different leadership styles, right? And my leadership style isn't isn't coercion. It's about you know logical reasoning, so to speak. Uh, but my mantra is, if you are a good designer, it doesn't mean you become a good design manager and vice versa, right? You have to know a little bit of both to succeed in life. And over time, you will understand where your passion is and that will help you scale in a company. Excellent, Aaron. Well said. And again, a very, very valuable suggestion out there. And Aaron, uh, while talking about IBM, work at IBM is more than just a job. It's a calling to build, to create, to program, to consult with, to create something new. To take the lead in this new era of technology and tackle some of the world's most complex challenges. As a continuation of this conviction, IBM introduced Watson Orchestrate, an incredible breakthrough with the promise of AI and automation. The question that I have for you here in there is, can you elaborate more about this and how can traditional businesses adopt this technology to make them future ready? Yeah, so before I get into what's in August, let me just uh, talk a little bit about uh, AI and automation. So, you know, I've got a 10-year-old. Um, he is uh, learning Python and he wants to create AI models, but his introduction to AI was that of skepticism. Uh, it's about the feeling that AI is going to take over the world. AI is a bad idea. But over time, his uh, con concepts and perspectives have changed. And I feel that journey is kind of similar to what um, you know corporates are going through too. You know, first of all, AI um, as a um, technology of choice, uh, it, it's taken a while to come to where it is right now. But if you look at the AI adoption, I want to say, um, based on the research we have done, less than 20% of our customers who we talk to have actually adopted AI. So the question is, why? Um, and it turns out that you know, there are three basic sort of um, challenges. One is about skills. Do we have the skills to um, build the right kind of AI, to nurture it, to monitor the performance of it and make sure that it's, it's good? That's, that's one. Two, do we have a practice in place to be able to sustain these AI models so that it's not just a one-off model that we create that helps our products, but it's a, it's a longer-term longer thing? So do, is there enough data scientists out there? Uh, it's an up-and-coming profession, right? And the third is this point about what exactly do we do with AI? Yeah, I get the technology. It's awesome. But what, what do we do? Um, so these are the, the initial challenges, right? And it affects every industry. But now we've seen that if you name an industry, whether it's education to insurance to logistics um, to even hardcore technology, they are beginning to adopt AI. And with the promise of AI is going to probably help humans be more efficient, right? And be more effective and more smarter, make better decisions. So it's not about a forcing function to reduce labor. It's about how we can be more effective and smarter. It's a very different perspective. But it, it kind of hinges on whether we understand the, the effect and the power of applied AI. 
Um, so back into the orchestrate discussion here, um, you know, it's, it's a simple sort of a concept here. Um, I'll try to give it in, you know, simple English here, but the great tech behind it. Um, let's say you are a sales professional. And, um, you know, as part of that, you tend to work on leads and opportunities. You, you want to make sure you understand the customers. And when the customers, you know, negotiate with you, you want to get and make sure you give them the right quotes so you can, you know, convert them into a sale. But that's a laborious process. And, you know, sales reps would rather be on the field, you know, um, selling versus trying to manage their systems of, of record. So what if you had a concept of a, of a sales assistant, um, which, a, um, which does some of the work for you, which understands how you work, which looks at the, um, uh, the way you approach things, which learns the system, which understands all the systems you interact with so that it can help you at the point of time. So for example, you know, if you were looking for a, a particular customer, it immediately understands they're looking for the customer. Not only that, it also finds out other things about the customer. And, and it can do that because it can learn and adopt skills. Now, think about skills that maybe Alexa has in the consumer work, right? Similar, but these skills are dynamic. It understands the system. It um, you know, ties together on the fly and does the work for you. So it's about adopting technology to automate some of the work you do, and it will make you faster and better and more efficient. So that's the whole idea behind Watson Orchestrate. It's using a uh, very interesting piece of technology that was built within our IBM research um, function, which is fantastic. They look at sort of new age technologies. And so we are going to be you know, adopting this across the board. And it has use cases pretty much on any place that requires a human-machine interaction, right? So we believe there's a great market for it. And it, at the end of the day, it, it actually helps a, a user. That's the best part on why, as a user experience professional, I'm so excited about that. Incredible. I'm sure that it's exciting and adds so much value to all the users. And um, I would definitely nudge our uh, listeners to definitely check out the product as well. And while, Aaron, we've spent time on talking about your journey, let's move on to the world of design and pick up your thoughts on them. And let's start with talking about product development. In fact, developing a product is a never-ending process. It encompasses a wide range of industries, business needs, and a close-knit relationship with the consumers. In addition to this, brands have to look after risk time to market, features, and other elements as well. Designers should have concrete processes in place to navigate them effectively. What I wish to know from you, Aaron, is how can designers balance all the aspects of product development strategically to pull off a successful product design? Yeah, so I'll, I'll start by saying that like development design is also a, a continual sort of um, extension of what, what we do. Um, in IBM, we have the concept of IBM enterprise design thinking. And one of the core aspects of it, this is the loop. And we believe in three facets of it, observing, how things work, how systems work, how users can uh, approach a challenge, making based on, uh, sorry, reflecting on it. So we reflect on the observations, think about potential solutions that we can bring in and we make it and we go back to the loop again and again. So it's a continuous cycle. And I think in the development world too, there's no there's no perfect product, right? I mean, you, um, there is a concept of MVPs. You, you release a product, then you add more features and functions. You understand from the market what's working, what's not working. You look at data to see which features are being used and not used, and you course correct along the way. So, you know, there are some parallels there. Um, for, for design to be effective, though, you have to be great partners with your development counterpart. Because at the end of the day, they're all trying to make the best product possible given the constraint of time. And that part, the time part, is 
is an interesting um, yeah, point to, to for for designers to think about because creative people usually don't have this this you know built into the DNA. You want to always try for this design. Design is not complete. You keep on iterating. But the development world, they have deliveries. They have timelines. They have market pressures. So the question is, as a designer, can you involve yourself in the roadmap planning that uh, with your product management and development counterparts to understand how they are breaking down their milestones? What exactly are they targeting? And then can you build experiences to manifest into those cycles? It's an art and a science. You know, it's a give or take from both ends. You want to influence the roadmap. You want to make sure that what comes out of the of the shelf is a great product that has the basic usability built in and there's some differentiation. At the same time, on the market side, you're looking at which features, which competitors are going after what facet of your product. So you have to balance it in. But the, but the main point, though, is you have to understand a little bit on the business but you also need to understand the development process. If they're breaking into sprints or some, some development teams have different ways of, of, of their delivery, you need to figure out a way to deliver your designs in the context of the development process. It can be a one-off on the side, right? You can't just design and then hand it off and say, developers, go build it. That's not the modern way of building products. You have to work with them day in and day out, be part of the scrums and, 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 and sprint calls so that you understand their blockers, not when they're releasing, but while they're building it because you can course correct, right? So I would say the, the, the main way to keep up with development is to be part of the process, understand how they're building the products, the phases they're going after, and then use your design process to interject within that overall overarching sort of go-to-market. Hey, did you know IBM and Adobe are collaborating to enable under-resourced youth by offering no-cost design courses. Students will learn high-value skills that will help them prepare for a successful academic and professional career. This helps learners recognize and get resources to help apply design principles to actual projects. Interesting. In fact, there's so many questions that I have from that answer. And here is my first one within that series. Product design is an essential part of many businesses' revenue model. In fact, modern brands need to build custom products that captivate consumers and facilitate growth, whether a tangible item or a digital platform that we've been speaking about. What I wanted to know from you, Aaron, here is how can product designers help companies in delivering exceptional products given the rapid rise in consumer expectations? I think the superpower that designers have is the ability to uh, figure out what problem we're trying to solve. And if we know what problem we're trying to solve and we align on it, and when I say we, I mean all parties involved in building the, the product that you know we're trying to go after, then that's the holy grail, right? So designers can affect the problem statement and the prompt that goes into building of a product. And that's very important. If you get that wrong, no matter how great our designs are and how cool the features are, it's not going to hunt in the market. It's a simple you know, truth. Um, and designers have this ability to get alignment. So everyone has a point of view. And in fact, we should encourage different points of view from different stakeholders, from marketing, support, sales, all the, all the functions that probably a, a user or a customer interact with in the journey. And as you get the different perspectives, it's on the designers to synthesize them, bring out the common elements, bring out the contradictions, and get alignment. A large part of our design is not about the wireframes and you know the high fidelity mockups or the visual designs. It's about the alignment. It's about the process. It's about the problem statements we are trying to fix. It's about the user mental model. It's about how the adoption you know part is going to be measured, so on and so forth. So it's it's a it's a it's a whole bunch of things. But for a designer, um, one important part I would also say that. 
they need to understand the business. So, and I have this passion of mine, which is about designing for business. And um, that's a part that we as designers need to grow um, on. We need to understand what are the metrics that the business cares about, and then break those sort of objectives and into potential metrics that designers can affect, right? So if a uh, the, the main measure of a success of a particular company is revenue, then let's take a look at that and say, how can design help with revenue? And is revenue only measured by product sales and product consumption? But is it also measured with other things? Um, and can design help with it? So it's a broader facet on how designers can actually influence um, the company, the company strategy, the cultural elements of how products get built. and also have a sort of point of view on the differentiations. This is the other part. It's not about designing just the features as is. Now, we can probably do a great job at that. Uh, but if you're able to articulate how we are different, differentiation is important. Right now, every company wants to build products that are usable. I think we have gotten over the hump of what is usability. But then the question is, can we differentiate by design? And that is on us as designers to be able to push. So those would be my sort of point of view on how, uh, you know, working with business gets us uh, along the journey. And while, you know, talking about the B2B2C market specifically, user-centered design talks about the consumer at the center, catering to their needs and privileging their purchasing power. But the digital experience we design impact far more people than just the end user. They engage with um, entire interconnected system that are composed of many different participants, only some of whom are the users we typically design for. What I wish to know from you, Aaron, is how can designers create solutions for home interdependent systems rather than focusing only on users? Yeah, great question. Um, actually, this is a, a passion of mine too, so I can probably talk at length a little bit. But uh, let me just give you an abbreviated version. In IBM, we have this um, sort of framework. We call it universal experiences. And think about universal experiences as every touch point that anyone might have in the context of engaging with the company. So whether it's their digital presence, whether it's discovering a, a probably product, whether it's learning about it, whether it's trying it out, um, maybe buying it uh, after buy support, um, maybe upgrade, or maybe you know uh, end of life. There are different facets that different people would engage with it. So the person who buys may not be the person who uses. The person who calls up support may not be the person who actually um, delegates the work in the system. So there are different users and personas touching different facets of this overall engagement of, of humans to the company in the context of, of a product or, or a service. So with that framework in mind, you know, we at IBM are, are trying to really make sure that every touch point is an experience. And that is a great experience that carries over to the next part of the journey, right? Um, and we obviously bank on deep user research to really understand, okay, which type of users are coming in. So, for example, you know, if a digital journey, if someone is looking for a product uh, and they come into a website to learn about the product, there could be many kinds of users that come in. We might be targeting, you know, segment X or segment Y, but it's a... It's a free digital world, so many people can come in. How do you generalize, but at the same time, give the content that's meaningful to the audience we are going to cater to? At the same time, excite everyone else so that they want to spend the time to learn about the product. Once they get into that phase, we then want to think about, okay, if, you, if you're learning about the product, we want you to try it. And we want to tr you to try it because we will give you an engaging hook that will completely change your perception of what the product can do for you. And once you get there, there's a chance that you will actively engage with a trial, for example, and then convert it into a, a page subscription and so on and so forth. So I talked about the design for business, right? There are, there are 
different sort of metrics that are important at each phase of the journey, uh, page visits, SEO, active sort of trial engagement, trial conversion, um, you know, the NRR, the MRRs, you know, there are different, you know, metrics. Each one, design can affect and influence. And we are finding it out every day in and day out across all our products. So uh, the the broader point I'm trying to make here is that design isn't just about a specific feature in a product. It's not just about a product. It's not just about the system. It's about a group of system and all the connections that, are are involved in it. So, you know, we work with the marketing team on how information that gets passed through the web uh, sites go into them. How do they generate leads? We work with the sales team to say, okay, when you get the leads, you know, is 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 our product helping you pass the right kind of leads? Do you follow up? Can you nurture? Can are you looking at the net promoter scores to see what kind of feedback we're getting from our customers? Right. We talk to support and say, hey. Uh, what are the support tickets you're getting on this product? Has this gone up or down based on this release? So it's system-wide thinking we have to think about. You know, just the product in itself, yeah, it's great. You know, once you get into the product, but there's also pre-product and post-product experiences. And so these universal experiences, what we call it, is what binds us together. And I think that's where the world is going, right? No matter how small or big your product is, I can guarantee you that there is a uh, you know multi touch point involved in that journey so can you as a designer take a step back look into the bigger processes and help with it and it's not just about ui design or ux design it's in a broader sense of design as a way to solve a problem as an innovation framework brilliant Aaron. um there's so much of what's happening currently in what should designers expect in future uh, was 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 audible in that answer. And I'm sure the listeners are going to have a, a great time listening to this. And that brings me to my next question as well, Aaron. The digital and physical blending trend promises to transform our environment, living and working spaces as well. It breaks the existing mental models and form new ones. What I wish to know from you, Aaron, is how can designers rethink and create new mental models for users keeping in mind the emerging technologies? Yeah, it, it's a little bit of a catch-22 uh, because users don't, don't formulate a mental model until they probably work with it. At the same time, they may have a pre-existing mental model. And uh, you cannot, unless it's a breakthrough product, like iPhones, for example, the interaction with on, on touch devices, they completely change the mental model of users, right? If you have breakthrough products like that going into new markets, then yeah, um, you know, that's a different perspective. But most times, you know, those mental model shifts are pretty subtle. But um, I will I will bring that point of view with a different thought in that, you know, I feel like we talk about designing for enterprise, which is complex and has different other facets and, and consumers have, you know, different parts. At the end of the day, I would say that we're designing for humans. You know, humans use systems to do something. And some concepts are going to be the same no matter what. Um, and some are going to be a little bit more detailed, uh, make different tracks based on the job at hand. And as we think about the next generation of users, like your students, for example, you know, they are they're studying in schools. They are predominantly on their mobile systems all the time. They look at different apps, which all look and feel different, but they manage to get through with them, right? Um, they work with a, a network of things, um, and they, they are more social right? Typically. So we expect that when these people come into corporate life and they want to use products, they would want to have those similar characteristics. It's not rocket science, right? We expect these next generation users to also expect the same out of their regular day-to-day usage of tools. So we can derive some mental models on existing patterns here. 
right? For breakthrough products that we doesn't exist, we're trying to you know break it down. Research is your best friend. It's almost a secret sauce. You know, re, try it out um, more like ethnographic studies, contextual studies to really deeply understand the problem points. You know, I, I remember this quote from I think Ford who had said that if you asked uh, you know the customers at the time, they would have said faster horses, not a car. So it's it's also that part that you can't always ask a user what they want because they cannot articulate, they cannot think beyond their problem. So it's our job to figure out what the latent needs are. And you would do that through deep contextual observations, you know, other sort of techniques, generative and summative studies on user research, and bring that insight to derive and formulate a mental model that hopefully does well in the market. But again, I use the word hopefully because you can try to um, design for a mental model, but unless it's out there and people are using it, you will not know whether it actually matches their mental model. So it's a, it's a long journey, but I want to dispel the notion that, you know, consumer world and enterprise world are different. Um, they are somewhat different in, in the context of use, but I hope that we all design for humans. Excellent. And I don't think we could have actually come to an end on a better note than this. How I wish the conversation could continue, Aaron. But here is my last question for you. At a mighty group of institutions at India, we've coined the term designering, which is a unique combination of design and engineering. The question that I have for you, Aaron, is does this concept blend in your field? And could this help young designers achieve something exceptional? First of all, I think it's a fantastic blend. Um, at the end of the day, we are all hopefully makers, right? We make stuff. We love making stuff. We design it and then design is on the end of it. We want to make it. Um, a little uh, side note here. Uh, my bachelor is in, is in engineering, so I'm a little biased. So engineering and design coming together is probably the best combination available. But look at the commonalities here, right? In both cases, um, we are trying to break down problems and trying to solve for it, right? One is through technology. The other one is through so human sort of elements, right? So there's a lot of commonality. And, and when you mix them together, it is probably a great thing because you normally learn to apply the sort of the uh, the psychology of, of human behavior on how we uh, design stuff, but also learn how things get built. And it comes hopefully as an advantage to you in your career, because no matter where you go, even if you work as a pure designer, you will work with the development team. And when you know how it works and you can add value to it, guess what? Your designs are going to make it into the product. I would say the... Um, measure of success of a designer is not about how great they design. It's about how much of their great designs actually made it into the product. And if you have a background of design engineering together, you have a higher chance. So I'm very bullish on that. Lord. Wow, thank you so much for your validation, Aaron. I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. Truly thought leadership, inspiring uh, Absolutely amazing conversation. Thank you so much, Aaron, for joining us on our show. I'm sure our listeners are going to love this conversation. Thank you again on behalf of all our listeners. Thank you, Rohit. It was a great fun. Hey, hello, everyone, and welcome to our new segment where we are hosting a startup design studio every month. And this month, we are speaking to Mohit Yadav, founder of Wolfcraft Strategy and Design Studio. Welcome back, Mohit. Hey, Ruth. Uh, good, to, good to be here again. Super. So, Mohit, continuing our conversation from last time, what inspired you to start Wolfcraft? You were working with leading corporate companies and now on an entrepreneurial journey. What's the story there? Why this hustle as an entrepreneur? You, you, were, you were enjoying your corporate stint successfully. Uh, yes, Ruth. I was certainly enjoying it. And uh, I worked with, I worked and designed uh, for many studios in India uh, and large corporations on the likes of Sony and Procter and Gamble. Uh, I worked in San Francisco for a good amount of time, and I, I really saw a lot of things when it comes to design. Uh, 
in my last decade of designing i i never feel that i had a work life balance crisis because design isn't work for me but it's a daily behavior you know it's it's in everything that i do uh and that's that's where it begins you know so i did some good work with great teams i don't want to sound like a pessimist but my main motivator was to walk the talk when it comes to, uh, you know to when i say that i am a designer uh my dissatisfaction towards how designers are versus how they should be and how design is being executed was one of the main reasons uh that led to the existence of wolfcraft i felt and i still do that the way world is moving ahead getting exponentially complex and interconnected we need a very different breed of designers to create innovative resilient ethical and experiential solutions we need a breed that doesn't create more problems while they solve for one problem you know and hence wolfcraft so my importance towards how we design things and most importantly a mindset towards being a designer uh let me to start wolfcraft but wow, that's interesting mohit in fact one of the next questions that i'm intrigued to ask you is actually looking at this from you know the customer's perspective um and 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 you touched upon this um, uh, you know just right now so while building these solutions that you you were working on which are so systematically actually defined in uh, uh verticals that you spoke to us about in the last episode how do you differentiate your offering from other design companies out there so how you know can you help let's take an example that if if a if one of your potential customer is listening to this episode right now how would you uh, help them understand of um, how how do you deliver uh, the services uh, different as compared to anyone else out there yes right so i think the biggest differentiator for wolfcraft is the design mindset you know a design team with a very unique attitude towards solving problems using design uh, you will agree that a design team in any organization is as good as the designers specifically in service uh, industry so most service companies focus on scale and have limited focus on improving the quality of the designers that they have on board and you know sadly most organizations also label designers uh, simply as resources who rarely get a chance to be more than you know just being a pair of hands uh you know having said that we bring high quality minds um, custom process oriented resilient team that works on certain principles to come up to solutions rather than following a die cut process um there are two parties in this in this whole business you know a designer and the way in which something is designed and wolfcraft is here to disrupt both that's how I'll, i'll put it indeed and i agree to mohit in fact while i was actually uh, uh scanning through the wolfcraft website you can so systematically see uh the various services offering that are there which are very well distinguished which demonstrates their focus areas on each of them and um, the depth in which they actually go out and assess their customers and i'm sure they're going to be uh, happy customers doing business with mohit uh, about whom we will listen on our upcoming episode thank you so much mohit again for joining us on the conversation today hey thanks rohit thanks for having me here Hey there thank you for listening and we hope you enjoyed our show do write to us at mbs@mit.edu.in we look forward to your opinions feedbacks and suggestions of speakers you would like us to host on this show you can also connect with us on our instagram linkedin facebook and twitter handles to get regular updates regarding new episodes and speakers Do tune in to our channel next Wednesday for a new story on your favorite audio streaming platforms.